you know, you can make money in any, any asset class, any segment. You just can't make money in all of them at once. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Daniel Casey. Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you joining us. A little bit about Daniel, and then I'll, I'll let you fill in, but... Uh, 20 years in the construction industry as a general contractor, mostly uh, the, the heavy civil, the construction or the commercial type, uh, made a switch to multifamily in, investing full-time in 2019. Uh, and his, uh, his company's called North 40 Capital. Um, and uh, they currently own a, a bunch of apartments, uh, some commercial spaces, industrial, and uh, also a motel. So all kind of in that uh, greater Tacoma, Washington area. So uh, anyways, with that said, Daniel, why don't you just give our listeners a bit more, um, a bit more about your background and kind of we'll dive into what you're doing now. Okay. So I, uh, I actually started my career thinking that I was going to be a CPA. I, I graduated from UCLA with a degree in mathematics and finance. And I was, um, I was a CPA candidate and I got a job working for KPMG, which was a large CPA firm right out of college. And probably within the first two weeks of doing that, I realized that I did not want to be a CPA and that I, the whole lifestyle of public accounting was not for me. I was, I was in a group that we traveled out every Sunday evening and didn't return till late Friday night. And like I was 52 weeks a year and it was just, wow. you know, it just didn't, it just didn't line up with what I was looking for, for a lifestyle. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, you know, I, I stuck with that for two and a half years, but during those two and a half years, I was looking for other businesses I could get involved in and, you know, kind of in a somewhat random way, we landed on construction. And, and honestly, the, the primary reason we landed on construction was just because it seemed like something that we started with virtually no capital. And, um, and then we specifically went into public works construction because we liked the idea that the low bidder won the job. You didn't have to, um, you didn't have to actually convince anybody to hire you or have any sort of track record. It was simply a matter of putting in the lowest bid and they would, they were, you know, more or less obligated to take you. So in 20, back in, back in 2000, we started, uh, we started our first construction company and we, uh, that, and that company primarily did, uh, it, everything we did was bridge related. We did a lot of sides and retrofits and repairs, widening. We basically did in that whole, in, in about a 10 year span, we only built, I don't know, four bridges ground up maybe. I and mean, almost everything we did was a repair or a retrofit in some fashion. So Interesting. that was my, that was kind of my, that was, you know, my first, you know, that was kind of my career for the first 10 years of it. How, um, do, you, how do you get into something like that? You, you know, CPA going to building bridges. I mean, kind of a serious thing to, to build <laughs> well, a bridge, right? So my, my, like my personal background with construction was that I had framed houses for one summer during college. So I had that <laughs> tiny little sliver of construction background. And then I had a partner in that construction company and his father was a civil engineer who had, um, who had worked for the state DOT doing bridge related, doing bridge related engineering and bridge related construction work. And then he had a kind of consulting slash general contractor business that he operated that did some really specialized um, consulting and repair on bridges. So that was kind of our, that was like our little window into the world of bridge construction. And, and we just like, 
when you know we chose it because it was a it's a fairly specialized niche and there was um minimal competition like on the jobs we were bidding on for the bulk of that first 10 years you know we would be bidding on jobs where there was maybe only two to four bidders so the profit margins were good and it was uh it was not it, i mean it was competitive but not not highly so but you know i mean like there, there's really not it, it wasn't like we considered you know a hundred different construction disciplines and landed on bridges like we just kind of picked it and went with it just kind of picked them on sometimes that's the best way right i mean it's it's I talk to people in real estate all the time about that. And they're like, what, which, what should I do in real estate? I'm like, look, you just got to pick one. You know, there's, there's a million different ways to make money in business and real estate and anything you do, you just got to pick one. You just pick bridges and you're like, Hey, let's go. Well, let's, let's yeah. do it. You knew maybe a little bit about her, had somebody that knew a little bit about it. And you're like, let's, let's go, let's become an expert in that. And let's make that our niche. And that's, you know, that's probably the most valuable piece of advice uh, you can give somebody is just pick a niche and go for it and uh, make it, make it yours, own it. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. I mean, in, in business and in specifically in real estate, I mean, you know, I meet people all the time who are, you know, trying to decide what discipline of real estate they want to get in, or oftentimes these people have their hands in like six different disciplines yeah, of real estate. And it's like, you know, I mean, the reality is there's money in all of it. You know, you can make money in any, any asset class, any segment, you just can't make money in all of them at once. So it's like, you know, you just got to figure out what it is you like and become really good at it. And, you know, you know, there's like, yeah, I mean, you can, whatever you, whatever your flavor is, there's, there's a way to make it profitable. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. I can't, can't make money in all of them at once. It's just not, not going to happen. You're probably going to uh, just not do well and you do less than average in all of them, which, why do you want to do that? Yeah, it's, it's a recipe for mediocrity. I mean, I, you know, it's probably the number one thing when I meet people who are kind of stalled out at some at some kind of network level or whatever. It's almost always a lack of focus. There's, you know, they're they're trying to do half a dozen different things and half a dozen different geographies or industry segments, and they're just kind of doing average and more. Is there is there anything that that you do in particular is it just something you've just kind of been disciplined in to, to make sure you're focused and you're focused on just that, uh, you know, not kind of just being everywhere. Um, any, anything that you've done or that, that has helped you? You know, I don't know that I have any magic recipe for it and I'm bet I'm significantly better at this now than I was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. 15 years ago. Um, I, I think one thing is I really tend to, I really, in my own, just kind of my own thought process, I always try to think about, you know, kind of what's my either like, I either call it return on hassle or like, you know, mm -hmm. what's kind of my, you know, I, I really try to manage my attention more so than my time, you know, and I think that's just a big thing, I, you know, trying to develop the discipline to say no to things because you know that they're going to require an outsized amount of attention or they're going to create, you know, an outsized amount of hassle, you know, relative to, you know, relative to the opportunity. And it's, I, I mean, I think thinking that way, you know, serves me pretty well. I mean, cause there's a lot of things that sometimes don't necessarily take time as, you know, I mean, attention and time are related, but they're not necessarily the same thing, right? Like there's some, there's some things that don't require a ton of time, but, you know, suck up a whole lot of, you know, kind of brain capacity. Um, and then on the other hand, there's some stuff that, maybe takes time, but honestly doesn't require a ton of attention. You know, like you just sort of show up and, you know, do your thing and move on. 
I like I, I like that. I, mean, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that manage your attention, not your time necessarily. And and I I would agree with that. I mean, it's it's all about it. I, I the return on hassle, the ROH. Um, you know, what's this thing? What's this thing going to do? You know, how how much brain damage is is this going to cause me? Uh, cause our company and how much of a hassle, a headache is this going to be for us? And is it the right fit? Um, just because it makes a lot of money or potentially makes a lot of money doesn't mean it's worth the, the, the attention, the time, the time commitment, the attention commitment, the brain damage commitment <laughs> doesn't always, doesn't always equate. So I, I love that kind of thought process behind it. Um, well, take, take me through then your business today. So you're no, are you doing the construction still? Do you still have that company? We do, but it's it, with a totally different flavor. So, you know, after we after the ten years of doing the bridge construction stuff, we we got into doing commercial construction and we started doing um, just kind of general, you know, you know, tenant improvements, renovations, and we ended up doing some multifamily and some uh, senior living renovations with the general contractor, and that's what really opened our eyes to the world of investment real estate. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we basically, you know. Kind of long story short, we we made a decision in twenty, well in twenty eighteen we bought our first uh, first small apartment building. We bought an eight unit apartment building, and then um, in twenty nineteen we made the decision that we were going to stop doing any outside customer construction work. And so we really downsized the construction company. We went from like, you know, about five million a year in revenue to I think the smallest year was like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in revenue just doing our own projects. And then since then we built it back up. So uh, 2023, we'll do about $4 million a year in revenue as a GC, but all of that, all of that work will be on our own projects. No more, no more customers. Gotcha. So, so yeah, we still do construction and it's still kind of the, it's still kind of our niche in the multifamily world as we look for redevelopment opportunities and we, um, and we, you know, perform those projects as a GC, but, um, but yeah, it's very different than it was before. When you're talking redevelopment, are you talking like taking an office building, turn it into multifamily or what, what type of redevelopment are you talking about? No, I mean, like our, our ideal property would be to find uh, like a 60s, 70s, maybe 80s vintage garden style apartment complex that's kind of currently maybe a C minus B plus type property, but in an A neighborhood. And so what we like, we like to do, you know, very heavy renovations. So we would not just not just totally transform the individual units, but we we do a lot of common area improvements and you know we add amenities and we basically try to you know try to create a product that can compete with uh, you know kind of the new A class stuff that's in the neighborhoods we're working in. New new A class apartments are all going to be you know kind of mid rise type you know urban style developments. And so if we can kind of if we can create a a B plus A minus product in an older garden style community. We, we like that, you know, we can compete pretty well against that A product. Yeah. That so I mean, that's, sense. you know, like, you know, so it's just, it's, it's, it's heavy value add. What, so somebody who, you know, obviously heavy value, add, maybe they shouldn't get into it for their first deal. Right. But um, <clears throat> somebody who wants to do some, some heavier value add uh, really is attracted to, to doing something like that. What are some tips that you can give? What are some things that they should really be aware of, or maybe maybe some pitfalls that they've got to look out for? Um, let's talk talk a little bit through that. Well, I mean, 
I definitely think that, you know, and this speaks to the, our, our business model is, I think it's a huge advantage to be the contractor. I mean, I think for, if you're a value add investor and you don't have a strong in-house, um, you know, construction background, you know, that's a big risk, right? So, I mean, I think to, for a lot of real estate investors that the construction cost and the relationship with their general contractor is a big risk. So, um, you know, figuring that part out, whether you partner with a contractor or just develop a really deep relationship where you have somebody that you can trust. Um, and then, you know, we kind of look at every project, like if I'm looking at an opportunity, the first thing I'm going to look at is, you know, what's the most, you know, what's kind of the highest value we could provide in this neighborhood? You know, what would be, what would be the level of, like, what would be the highest level of rent we could achieve, you know, and who would be the, and who would be the tenant? And then we kind of back into, well, like, what would we, what would we have to provide in terms of facilities and services to attract that tenant? And then it's kind of like, well, what would that cost? You know, what's it going to cost to convert this to that? And then you just start working the numbers backwards to see if it works, you know, like when yeah, I buy this for a cheap enough price to put the amount of money it's going to take into it. And, and I mean, I think that's a, I mean, you know, we're, we're very focused on the end product. And I think that's not, I'm not, I'm not sure that every value add investor has the same sort of focus. A lot of people are focused primarily on financial metrics, like, you know, NOIs or cap rates. And we're, yeah, we're basically right. interested in what's the highest quality housing product we think you can sell in this market. Are you then, you know, you complete that uh, project and are you guys selling it pretty quickly or holding it long-term? What, what's you know, your strategy? Our, our objective is we've sold one, we've sold one property in the last, well, in the last four years since we started doing this. Um, yeah. Our goal with all of these properties is to, to own and operate them long-term. So we're, gotcha. we're always buying them with the primary, you know, with the primary goal of, you know, completing the completing the renovation or the redevelopment, and then refinancing it, returning the capital to you know to whoever the equity investors are, and then holding that property for a uh, you know indefinitely. And when you return the capital, are you are you um, exiting the investors, or how does that work with your investors? No, we have um, so so of we only have well we have three properties in our portfolio of six properties that have equity partners in it. So the first 50 or so units that we did this to was all our own capital. So um, so there's a little bit different flavor to each of those in terms of how we have the, the relationship with the investors structured. But the general concept is um, we don't take any fees or any distributions, like any distributions paid out of the asset are paid to the investors as a return of capital until such point as they have 100% of their capital back. And then once they have the once they receive 100% of their capital back, there's a there's an equity split them and us, and the goal is to keep it long term, which is an advantage to both of us. I mean, we want we're interested in the long term wealth creation, and then to the investors, it's a you know a lot of them are really motivated by tax savings, and the fact that they're not getting exited out of the deal means that they're not paying any recapture on that on that uh, depreciation, and so it's a it's a you know kind of a win win for them. Yeah, so so they invest a hundred thousand dollars, and you get you keep it long term. They're just staying in it. Um, yeah, and the returns and, and you with know, the refinance. What do, what you re, if you refinance? Do they do they get bought out, or is it just they just stay in? No, I mean there's 
in the way we have it structured, there's no mechanism, you know, to get them out. Like they would, they would just basically be in forever. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they would just have an equity, you know, there's just an equity split once their capital is returned. Yep. Yep. That sounds good. So what's, what's a trap for a sixties, sixties built, you know, um, what's a, what's a trap? What, what, what are some like hazards that you got to look out for if you're going to buy a sixties or early seventies vintage product? I mean, I, I think, you know, the, probably the best advice is don't underestimate the, you know, complexity of getting the plumbing right. I mean, I think that's the big, that's a big issue we deal with on all these, you know, on, on anything we're doing, we're typically trying to do things like add dishwashers, add washers and dryers, yeah. um, you know, kind of creating, creating kind of modern A-class amenities in these older buildings. And, you know, especially if you're 60, 70 vintage, you're going to be dealing with galvanized plumbing and um, it's not, it's not impossible. And I don't necessarily think you have to replace every single bit of galvanized pipe, but it's not cheap. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely going to require, it's definitely going to require cost and effort to, you know, to replumb these units in a way that you can put in modern fixtures and, you know, not, not create a constant maintenance hassle. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the plumbing, because man, I've bought some 70s, early 70s built and uh, and and older, um, but that galvanized plumbing and the the cast iron and man, that's just a mess, and it's <laughs> it's beyond its life expectancy uh, right now. And so, if you're if you're venturing into the, you know, sixties, seventies, I would say you uh, you know mid seventies or earlier, just just pay attention to what the plumbing is. <laughs> no, uh, you're probably going to have to do a lot of work there. Are you guys doing the whole works or are you just kind of fixing what needs to be fixed and then, um, you know, allowing that to kind of stay in? Are you keeping galvanized in, I guess, the buildings, your, your long term? So are you leaving it in? So we've done both. We have we have some buildings that we've completely repiped, um, but the stuff we're working on right now, we're not we're not completely repiping them. What we're we're we are leaving galvanized in place, but we're. You know, like if we, if we, when we get into a unit, like, you know, we completely change all the fittings, all the, um, you know, we would never reuse a shower valve or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're basically continuing to use galvanized as the primary transport lines. But once you get to each unit, it's, you know, we're going to, it's a hundred percent tax within a unit. Yeah. yeah. And that's a big kind of, I mean, I'm not sure, but, you know. You can come back and ask me ten years ten years from now if that was a smart idea or not. But you know, we, might be, we might be kicking the can down the road and be dealing with a big maintenance problem later. But you know, especially in some of these larger communities, you know, there's an awful lot of pipe, um, yeah. you know, in the ground and in the walls, and you know, we've decided that we're not going to, you know, replace all of it yet. Yeah, I think you have to decide, um, you know, what's worth what's worth the headache and the hassle. Is it that's a lot of headache and hassle to replace all that cast and galvanized. Eventually at one point in time, that building will have all new plumbing. Uh, but you know, if you're holding it long-term, can you just put a budget in place? That's going to kind of keep you protected uh, and insulated. And you know that, Hey, look, every, every year we're spending whatever it is, you know, 30, 40, 50,000, whatever it might be on plumbing repairs. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, you know, you're probably fine. As long as you do a good job budgeting and understanding that's a problem. Like that's a problem that cast iron is not going to last forever and you're going to have a leak here and there and you just got to fix it. Um, and, and so that, 
you know, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a right and wrong. I've done both like, like you have too. Um, but you just gotta be aware it's a problem. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing we do is we try to be, we try to be smart about it. Like we'll, we'll put in quite a few, um, valves as we're, as we're doing these renovations. Cause a lot of times you get these buildings where, you know, there's just a single water shut off for like 40 units or something, or, or like your, you know, or entire communities. We had one, a 64 unit community that consisted of seven different residential buildings. And there was one water shut off for the whole thing. So every time there was a problem, you were killing 64 units worth of water. So yeah. in that situation, we didn't replace all the plumbing, but we did um, install shutoff valves at each individual building so that we could you know, never have to shut off more than eight units worth of water at a time if we needed to do any sort of work on it. So we try to do, try to do that kind of stuff, you know, try to think ahead a little bit so that we're not, you know, so that if we do have problems in the future, they're not going to be disasters. We've got a building like that. It's just a nightmare. You know, anytime you have to do any plumbing work, you have to shut the entire building down. And fortunately it's a big complex. And so there's, and there's almost nothing you can do about it. Uh, without spending an enormous amount of money. Um, so what we've done actually is we've we've got a schedule set up that um, plumbers will come during the week at specific times and we will try to hold all of our plumbing. Now, of course, there's emergency plumbing that has to happen. That's just, it just happens, right? You can't, you can't have a leak, a, a massive leak going for, you know, four days before a plumber comes in just on your schedule. But for the most part, it's two days a week and specific hours. And that's when the plumbers come to do all the work. And so the tenants just know that, Hey, you know, I can't remember what day it is Tuesday from, you know, 11 AM to 1 PM, the water could get shut off. Um, but it's a pain. It's a pain. <laughs> old, old plumbing systems are, are so joyous. I love them. <laughs> what, uh, what's a mistake Daniel that, that you've made, uh, whether it be in the construction, whether it be in, in uh, any of the real estate, the business, whatever it is, what's a mistake that you've made and how can you uh, pass down what you've learned to our listeners? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, back when we had the construction company, when we were doing all of the, uh, all of the civil work, you know, it, when things were going really well, we were aggressively growing, but we were also taking on a lot more overhead and that, ultimately that ultimately proved to be a real problem like we uh you know we were basically in full growth mode and we were hiring and we were adding equipment and we were doing all the things that we thought at the time were really prudent but we basically created a system where we needed a certain amount of growth just to kind of keep the engine running and yeah. um you know and then when when things slowed down you know we couldn't we just couldn't offload those expenses quick enough and so, I mean, I'd say that's one kind of general business problem. Um, and then I think on the flip side, I probably, because of that lesson learned, I probably have the opposite problem now where, you know, we're realizing that we need to, you know, we probably need to do the opposite. You know, we need to be more aggressively uh, growing our capacity as an operator. And, uh, mm. you know, I mean, we, we really leaned in in the last um, six months to hiring hiring really high quality people and we were probably a little too late you know to get started on some of that so we probably you know we've been treading water a little bit because we you know kind of bit off more than we could chew we didn't have the resources to get it done fast enough so i mean i think a lot of that i don't know that there, i don't know what the right answer is but 
balancing balancing that equation of you know having the right resources and at the same time not creating a uh, not creating too big of an overhead burden. I mean, I think that you know that's a, it's a fine line to walk, but you know that's been a, that's something that we struggled with, and you know we're still still working on it. Yeah, that's always a, a always a work in progress, right? Because you want to continue to grow, you want to you know build the business, but you also that overhead can be a major burden if things are you know things slow down, like you said. All of a sudden, you got you've got overhead that you got to pay for. You got to figure out how to make that happen. Um, and and if you're not doing as much business, it, it can get challenging. And uh, so yeah, we we've done the same. We've we've tried to grow with thinking about our overhead and going, okay, do, do we, that the biggest thing, the thing I always want to try to make sure continues in the business is that we don't have to do deals. We don't have to do deals just to stay afloat, which puts us in a pretty strategic position, right? It means, it means we don't have to go buy that apartment building that we probably shouldn't buy. Um, it means, it, it means we don't, we don't have to get that, uh, acquisition fee that, you know, some other companies have to get just to keep the lights on. Uh, that that's a great position to be in. So I, I appreciate you telling that. Um, you know, you so you got some multifamily, but it you know you had you have some other types of real estate. Um, what you know, we talked earlier, right, about staying in your lane and, and making sure you're concentrating on what you're good at. What made you confident that you could buy the motel, buy the industrial, um, buy some, you know, the, some of those other commercial buildings with, and still not feel like you're out of your own lane? Okay. Well, so, so most of the other stuff we have came first. So that was actually okay, like when, gotcha. when we owned my first, my first property I ever bought was a duplex and it was actually, I lived in half of it for a couple of years. So, and it was, it wasn't it wasn't a house hack per se, but it was just a, you know, I hadn't even, we didn't, didn't even understand the term house hacking, but it just seemed like a prudent thing to do. So we owned a duplex. And then um, along the way, we bought an office building because the construction company needed an office. And then we bought a small industrial building and a yard because the construction company needed a shop. And so, so those buildings we picked up, not with any sort of an investment intention, just kind of out of necessity. And then what, and so then we started buying multifamily with a lot more intention. And then we ended up with the motel because we bought it in the beginning of, um, well, we, we, you know, we bought it during COVID and, and in Washington, I don't know what it was like in your neck of the woods, but we had, you know, the extended eviction moratoriums and, yep. you know, a lot of restriction on um, apartment operations. And so for our construction business, you know, they're primary, they're primarily in the business of renovating apartments. And, um, and if people weren't moving in or out, there was really no, there was a, you know, we didn't have a robust supply of apartments to renovate. And so this motel came, uh, you know, opportunity was presented to us and it was initially presented as an apartment conversion, but it didn't really work in that regard. But we, hmm. you know, we felt like it was a, you know, interesting enough business to operate and it would provide it's a 52 room motel. So basically 52 units that needed to be renovated. And it was basically a chunk of construction work that we would be able to control. And um, so that was why we bought it. You know, on the one hand, the hotel is a lot of fun and it's a, it's a fun challenge, but it is a huge distraction and it is a, a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more difficult to operate than I think we, you know, gave it credit for. And so I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would go back and do it again, but um 
and, and I think it kind of illustrates the point I made earlier that you've really got to stay in your lane and manage your attention because there's turns out there's really not that much similarity between multifamily and motel <laughs> operations. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's motel, people that are in both, but that, right, that, that's right. where it ends. Right. So I think the best advice I've gotten related to the motel um, was somebody told me that I either need to sell it or buy five more. And like, that's probably really good advice. You know, you, you either got to build a big enough business around it that you can put an operator in place and, you know, get a true, you know, get kind of a true A player to run it. Or I just need to, you know, find an exit point and get rid of it. So it's not a distraction to us. So I'm not sure which one of those routes we'll take, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of where we're at. Well, it's, it's, it, and it makes sense, right? Because you're, you're operating a small motel, which if you think about who owns most of those, it's monpa, right? It's it's a, a lot of times it's somebody that's living right on site, or they get the house right next door, or whatever it is. Um, otherwise, it's the the motel six that's got a, a you know a ton of them, and so it, it, you don't really see the operators uh, besides that, right? You you don't see a company like yours operating a lot of them, so that makes a lot of sense. So you're either gonna we're either gonna know you as the uh, the motel guy, you know, with with 30 different motels or, or we'll just know that's a, a chapter in your story. That's all. Exactly. Love it. Uh, well, Daniel, I got a couple last questions uh, before I wrap up. Uh, one question, how do you like to give back? That's a good question. So we're, you know, I'll, I'll give you two answers to it. Like uh, my wife and I are both involved in a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with it, but it's uh, yeah. my wife's actually been involved uh, for a number of years in uh, a segment of Young Life called Young Lives, which is focused on teen mothers. And so we've done a lot of, we've, you know, given back and done a lot through that. And we're still pretty involved um, in our in our local One Life organization. Um, you know, the other thing is, I think long-term and in more generalities, we have a lot of, uh, my wife and I are both very interested in in poverty and specifically uh, how, you know, young mothers play into, you know, play into poverty and play into the solutions around poverty. So mm -hmm. um, I think as we, you know, kind of a longer term purpose in our life is to really look at um, how to provide, you know, education and long-term growth opportunities specifically focused around uh, young women and specifically mothers and as a way to help lift communities out of poverty. Yeah, I love, I love that. I mean, providing the education, right? That's that's the biggest thing. You can don't go ahead and, you know, provide food or housing or clothing. And those things are definitely blessings to people who are in poverty and are struggling. But the most valuable thing is the, the education because there's no way they're getting out of it. You know, you just providing money is not going to get them out of the problem. It's going to make them feel good. It's definitely going to be of benefit, but it's not going to stop the cycle. Um, so I love that. Um, all right. A couple last questions. So what's a favorite book? I read a lot. And so um, it's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> nail down a favorite book. Um, Maybe something you read recently that well, you like, Hey, I'm gonna go with. you know, so, a book I read a couple of weeks ago that I really liked was um, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. I've read a handful of his books, but um, I felt like this one was particularly 
impactful and just generally a good book. The advantage. Who is it by again? Uh, Patrick Lencioni. Got it. Probably most famous for he wrote the five dysfunctions of a team. It was a like a leadership table that's pretty that's a pretty popular book. Uh, but the advantage is actually like most of his books are fables. He tends to he writes these kind of you know fictional stories about you know corporate teams, and you learn different lessons about leadership through the through the fables. But the advantage is actually uh, just a typical kind of nonfiction book where he basically pulls the wisdom from three or four of his other books and kind of puts it into a fairly succinct framework. Mm -hmm. So it's good. Love it. Love it. Well, I appreciate you giving me a book that I've never heard of. I, a lot of times I've already heard of the book, but this is, this one's definitely not. So that's, that's great. A last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? <laughs> so, uh, you know, what comes to my mind first is I would say impact growth and freedom. Um, wow. And those are probably as much personal core values as they are pillars of wealth creation. But in everything we do as a company and uh, everything I do as an individual, I'm always looking to maximize impact. So yeah. uh, like when we're looking for investment opportunities or for communities that we can work in, or even once we, once we own a community and we're putting together designs, you know, we want to be confident that everything we're doing is going to have a tangible impact on somebody's life. You know, at the end of the day, if you're in the business of owning and operating multifamily, you're in the business of providing people with housing and the quality of that housing is going to ultimately determine the value of your property and this, you know, financial right. success of your investment. So we're, we're really laser focused on, um, you know, on providing real value. And then growth and freedom, I mean, uh, you know, why we enjoy what we're doing and why I'm ultimately, you know, investing in multifamily and operating a, a multifamily company is because, you know, I like the freedom that it gives, it gives me and gives my, my employees, my family. I mean, it's all about, it's all about being able to have choices and um, make decisions for your life. And then, you know, growth, you know, that's something that like, you know, that I focus on a lot and that we focus on as a company, uh, you know, it's just, it's all about the acquisition of skills and being better tomorrow than you were yesterday. And, you know, at such point as there's nothing more to learn and there nowhere else to grow, you know, I'll probably do something else. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're, I like the, uh, I don't know if I made it up or somebody else, I'm sure somebody else did. Cause I'm not that, not that smart, but if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. Well, yeah. I love that little uh, saying there that somebody made up, I'm sure. Uh, well, man, I really appreciate it, uh, Daniel. Been been really good. Uh, how can our listeners reach out, get in touch with you, learn more about North Forty Capital, kind of what you got going on? So we've got a we've got a website. They can go out to northfortycapital.com. Um, they can also they can also email me. My my email is Daniel at BlackRockNW like Northwest.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. You can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn, but it's probably 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 not not your <laughs> communication. So, but uh, you know, email email or Facebook are both you know reasonable ways to hold me. Cool, awesome. Again, really appreciate it, man. Uh, any last any last words of, of wisdom you want to pass down? No, I mean I just appreciate the discussion. I you know I like talking. You know, obviously I'm. I like talking multifamily. I like talking multifamily operations and it's, it's just fun to have a chance to, you know, kind of share our point of view with somebody else in the industry. So, you know, it's, it's been great. great. Well, you have a fantastic rest of the day.
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, Give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.